For our sermon today, we are in Hebrews 5, and we will be looking at the first 10 verses. I will read those in just a moment. Career experts tell us how important job descriptions are to any workplace. Knowing the requirements of certain roles keeps expectations clear, don't they? For employer and employees alike, as well as for everyone else on the team. There should be a framework for what uh, needs to happen in any job. This week I came across some curious advertisements for positions needing to be filled and wanted to share a few with you. A bank was looking for an analyst and said this, you can't ever be wrong. You have to be in the top 1% of raw intelligence in the population. Oh, and there's zero training for the job. A want ad was looking for a waitress who had to be 18 years of age with 20 years of experience. A preschool was hiring for a teacher who had to be a quote, nap time ninja, who could convince the most stubborn child to get rest. There was an ad on Craigslist who was looking for a cat holder downer so they could give their, their cat a haircut is that a thing? This person needed to be cool, dig cats, and be able to hold the animal for a half an hour. You could not pay me enough money for that job. How about this one? Love of bacon not required for this position. We have several vegetarians and vegans on our team. And for a tour guide, quick-witted and dashing good looks, and a level 30 or higher on Pokemon Go. And lastly, an ad for a pastor. Our church isn't the place for perfect. It's a place for the perfectly weird, the perfectly average, the perfectly fed up, fed up with the self-centered, self-satisfied, and self-obsessed version of religion that sometimes passes for a church. Okay then. From our scripture today, we're going to look at the job requirements for a high priest, as a, according to the writer of Hebrews. And then we're going to see if Jesus fits those qualifications. The writer is building a case for why Jesus is worthy to be followed, why he is greater than a system that no longer functioned as it was created. God chooses priests, pastors, clergy to do his work on earth on behalf of those he loves. God, who so wanted to connect from the beginning of time with the humans that he created, the humans he created and loved, he then showed a way through his son even when other options look better or easier, Jesus is the way that God has given. Jesus fulfills all the requirements that no one else had a chance of doing. Jesus, the high priest who supersedes all other ways to God. So hear the word of the Lord from Hebrews 5, 1 through 10. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. 
he is able to, to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as for those of the people. And one does not presume to take this honor, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, having been designated by God a high priest, according to to the order of Melchizedek. Let us pray. Father, as I speak, may you speak, and may Jesus, our high priest, be glorified. Amen. Last week, we talked about the idea and the implication of Jesus being the high priest. In today's passage, the writer expands that idea and really starts to make a case for Jesus being our high priest. So we're going to begin by talking about the job requirements for the position of high priest, and then we will look and see how Christ meets those criteria. So the first condition that the writer outlines that must be met to be a high priest is that the high priest must originate from among the people. This comes from Exodus 28. When God tells Moses to bring his brother Aaron from among the ranks of the Israelites. And the role of the high priest was to broker the relationship between God and the people who came to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. The first audience of this letter would have been familiar with the very visible piece of this job. In ancient Israel, the most important aspect of the high priest's duties was the ongoing uh, religious worship rites in the temple. We see this spelled out in the book of Leviticus, how the people would come and bring offerings to both express gratitude to God and also to seek forgiveness by bringing grain or an animal or the first fruits of their harvest. I liked uh, so much Jake's picture last week of the crosswalk in the children's sermon. The high priest was the connection point, bridging the divide between the people and God. When I started kindergarten, my dad was the crossing guard and uh, my school was on a very busy street. So having him dressed in bright colors who went ahead and stood in the middle of the street was an integral part of us getting to where we needed to be. If there was just one kid or there was a whole gaggle of us, we trusted him to get us safely across. We might think nothing of it, but this person has one job and it's incredibly vital. They have to pay attention to the entire road and what's going on around them. They have to put themselves out there, making sure that the kids stay inside the lines out of harm's way. 
It's the same with the high priest. They tried to keep the people spiritually safe and out of the danger zone. Sin disturbs the relationship between God and the people. And so um, the high priest uh, was meant to offer the sacrifice to restore that life-giving connection, to make sure that they could pass freely again to uh, where the Lord was. The second requirement we see here is pastoral care. In verse 2, it says that the high priest must be able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. This continues to be true for all ministers, doesn't it? In the New Testament, there are passages that deal with what overseers of the church must be and also must do. Yet meeting people where they are and helping them see eternal perspective is crucial to the job. We might define ignorance as not being aware of the truth. And we might define wayward as being lost or rebellious. The word for deal gently here is metriopathia, and it means halfway between two extremes. The Greeks touted this idea as being virtuous. It's the tension, perhaps, of walking a tightrope where the priest has to balance truth on one side while also giving grace on the other side. Metriopathia means the ability to deal with people without getting irritated, even when the people are foolish or not teachable. Loving people, no matter what, is a supernatural gift from the Lord. And I'm unsure if pastors are naturally more gifted at this or if they just get more practice in their jobs. The writer here alludes to the fact that the priest has to be sympathetic because they themselves also are weak. And this is such a good truth from this passage. A good pastor is aware of their own brokenness as they attempt to help others find God. There's a solidarity here then between the human high priest and the people for both of them. Before the high priest can offer sacrifices on behalf of the people, they themselves have to confess their sins. And in a sense, we remember that one of the most important requirements of clergy everywhere, then and now, is humility. To remember that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and we all need Jesus. The last requirement for a human high priest is that they have to be called of God. It's not simply a job one takes. God appointed the priests and then that decision was affirmed by the people. It was a privilege to be called, so says the writer of Hebrews. It wasn't a right to be taken. Although not everyone might agree, I believe that this is still true today. It's not that being clergy is more important or that a pastor has a loftier position of honor. We need Christians being called everywhere and serving at all levels of society. Yet because God is holy, because God is worthy of all of our honor, the role of pastor should not be taken lightly. It should not be entered into as a mere nine to five job. 
If one takes a ministerial position with the idea of getting ahead or making it about oneself for their own glory, that defeats the honor that God is meant to receive. Again, I understand all of us are meant to honor God. Yet for those who lead people into the throne of the living Lord, we have to make sure that we're doing so with his leading and his guidance. It's a job that one does in conjunction with the Lord because he is head of the church. Now, with these qualifications in mind, how does Jesus measure up? What does the writer of Hebrews say about it? It's interesting how this writer is framing the argument as they help the church to see the reality and the blessing of the Lord's presence every day. Having named the job requirements, some of them as a high priest, let us use them as a lens through which we can see Christ. First, he reminds us that Jesus was appointed by God as the high priest. Verse 5 says, he did not glorify himself by taking the job. This is a connection also with the pastors, the priests, the ministers. Instead, Jesus was sent by the Father to serve. To prove the point, there are two quotes here from the Psalms, both of uh, which would have been recognized by the audience as messianic prophecies. They would rightly apply these words to Jesus. The first comes from Psalm 2, and it establishes the Messiah as being God's son. The second comes from Psalm 110, quoted before in Hebrews, and it places Jesus firmly in the priesthood. Jesus is a different kind of high priest in two ways. First of all, he's the son. And the unique familial relationship fundamentally changes the nature of how Jesus serves. There is no one else like him. The other difference is how Jesus does not come from the line of Aaron, but rather from a more ancient line, that of Melchizedek. We're going to talk a lot more about this man later on in Hebrews, but for now, suffice to say that he was a king of Salem, and he was a priest of the Most High God. And he shows up in a story recorded in Genesis 14. After, Abraham, uh, after God gives Abraham a victory in battle, Abraham meets Melchizedek, who offers a blessing to Abraham, who then responds by giving a tenth of his spoils from the battle to Melchizedek. And what this does is it recognizes Melchizedek's spiritual importance over Abraham. So we will read more about him later. But for now, the writer is trying to make the point that Jesus doesn't come from the line of Aaron, like all the other high priests. Jesus comes from a different line. Another way that Jesus fulfills the requirement of high priest is in how he offers up prayers on behalf of the people, how he offers supplications to God. In verse 7, it says that Jesus prays with loud cries and tears to the one who is able to save him from death. Many scholars believe that this is Jesus, of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
where the Lord prays and prays to be spared from the cross. In addition, of course, to asking for himself, we know that Jesus was also crying and praying for us. The prayerful agony was human fear of what would transpire. But also, we believe that Jesus was wrestling with the role that he needed to play, the one that he knew he was sent to play for God. And God the Father, hearing this prayer, the one who could save Jesus and spare him from death, did not change the course of what would happen. Jesus needed to play that role, to, to live out what he was sent to do on the cross. Well, the writer of Hebrews says that human priests attempt restraint, where they try to find the gentle way, the tightrope way of dealing with people. Jesus here is portrayed as holding nothing back emotionally. To the first century Jewish audience, this would have been seen as a sign of strength. To pray honestly with one whole self before the Lord, to show this utter dependence is a beautiful picture that they absolutely would have resonated with. Paul tells us in Romans, and later on we will see in Hebrews, how Jesus intercedes for us now. To intercede means to plead on behalf of another person. We pray all the time, but Jesus today is always interceding on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. We offer our prayers in the name of Jesus, in the name of our Savior. He is our ultimate high priest who, medi who mediates between us and God, listening to our prayers and asking the Father on our behalf. The last way that Jesus is perfect for this role comes from verses eight and nine. And it says that Jesus is perfect for being the high priest because of his suffering and because of his obedience. Jesus becomes the source of eternal salvation for everyone who obeys. You see, although he was fully God, Jesus had to learn obedience because he was also completely human. Being made perfect here means that he carried out the purpose for which he was called. But Jesus was also the son. Becoming our high priest was not automatic though because of that relationship. What cemented him in the position was his obedience, was his suffering. In order for Jesus to be our high priest, he had to share in what it means to be like us. He had to be subject to what causes us pain and sorrow. Human priests and pastors understand what their people go through. They're sympathetic, like the writer says. But we also, as pastors, can succumb to temptation. God, in such wisdom, decided to offer a different way. Instead of a fallible person trying to do their best, it would now be a perfect God who had to endure life and suffering on earth, including being murdered as an innocent man. And it's this that causes him to be able to be our high priest. As we ourselves journey through Lent right now to the cross, 
We spend time understanding again the anguish that our Lord went through on our behalf as he faced death for us. Jesus bears our sorrows and feels them at the core of who he is. Scripture teaches he was wounded for our transgressions. He was killed for our weaknesses. The punishment that brought us peace is upon him and by his stripes we are healed. And so as we contemplate this Lent, may we never ever take Jesus's brutal death on our behalf lightly. May we be sorrowful and repentant and grateful that, our, that he took on our wrongdoing with his suffering. As we think about how Jesus fulfills all the requirements of mediator between God and humanity, how he is greater than any human priest and accomplishes far more than they could accomplish, let's consider a few lessons that we might take today. First, these are strategic verses in the middle of a thought of why Jesus is greater than human high priests. We can see from this how our holy, perfect God always had a plan, always had a plan for his children to be close to him. God wants to be in good relationship with us. He wants to be close to us. If you are a parent, you understand this. No matter what happens with your child, you want to find a way to offer your love even when things are rough between you. God perseveres through our ignorance, through our rebellion, always holding out hope that we will return to his love. If you are far from God today, is there anything in these verses which soften your heart to him? Second, these verses help us understand how being called by God how vulnerable that really is. We should always be praying for all clergy, asking God to lead them as they live out the mantle he has placed on them. We have high expectations of our pastors, which is from scripture, and that is right. But sometimes I wonder if we put more on them than we are willing to put on ourselves thinking that they're going to be there for us to clean up our messes. All of us are called to live holy, and we're called to live justly before the Lord, in love before him. So let us make sure that we are willing to live in the same standards that we're putting on our pastors. Lastly, just as Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered, these verses teach us that the salvation that Jesus offers to us today is through our obedience to him. Jesus modeled what it looked like to live in full and complete and utter obedience to God and to God's will. And we also are called to that same kind of submission to what the Father asks of us. Nothing changes that. And I'm saying that because one thing that was true 
to the audience of the Hebrews to whom this letter was written was that their persecution, the persecution that they were enduring, the difficulty that they were experiencing was making them think that Christianity wasn't sufficient to handle the painful realities of this world. We've talked about this before. And the writer of Hebrews is reminding them that Jesus is our perfect high priest, that Jesus was given the power to endure the cross and that he then meets us. We who obey him, he meets us in the ways that we suffer, saving us as we endure what is before us today. Let us take a few minutes now in prayer before Jesus, our high priest, and let's ask him what it is that he has to say to us as he mediates our relationship with God the Father. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.